All right, so this is going to be another episode of the MMA Conspiracy Hour that I just did with Miguel Edorati, the MMA detective, Mike Davis. He was uh, busy uh, commentating for a show, which was actually a FAC show, the show that uh, got pulled from UFC Fight Pass. That's the one that he was uh, commentating on at the time. So he, he didn't contribute here. But what me and Miguel talked about was, you know, most people are focusing on the fight-fixing aspect of this James Cross investigation. And I know we've done a few shows on this, but on this one, we, we decided to go over other things that he could be charged with. And also some of the finer details of what could go on in a discord like the one James Cross was running. Now, Miguel, he's had uh, 15 years of experience working in the sportsbook industry in Costa Rica. He still resides there right now. And, uh, you know, he can get into some of the finer details of gambling, what people can do to try and avoid... Uh, raising suspicion when they're dealing with a, you know, like a 2000 person discord. And, um, I thought it was pretty interesting because he can kind of go into finer details about some of the other investigations that could pop up if James Cross was doing anything that was, uh, not legal. So, uh, this is going to be the MMA conspiracy hour with Miguel Iterati, veteran matchmaker and sportsbook employee. Check it out. All right, so this is Todd Atkins, and I'm here with uh, Miguel Adorade, uh veteran matchmaker, and has over 15 years' experience in the sportsbook industry. And uh, he also hosts the Lights Out podcast, L-Y-T-E-S-O-U-T, Lights Out podcast, which you can find on YouTube. Uh, the best MMA history podcast there is out there, and I don't say that because he's on a show of me. It just is. If you go look, you'll see what I'm talking about. And uh, today we're kind of going to just do a, some specific stuff on James Krause with, with Miguel. The rest of the time we've done this, Mike Davis has been on the show with us, but going to kind of let Miguel talk us through some of this. And uh, <clears throat> I wanted to start out with, we know about the fight fixing allegations. Like everyone has talked about that part of it. So we know that's out there and that's something that can be looked at. And if proven true, obviously there would be trouble for Krause if that was proven true. But what else, from your experience um, in the sportsbook industry, what else could he have a problem with besides that? That's the principal problem. That that's the one that that um the the fight fixing is the one that's going to get him jail time. Everything else, I think, you lawyer up, you fight your way through it. You know, I think his gambling career is done. I think you know. He's going to be marked as a person that, you know, the gambling industry doesn't want involved, you know, the, the kind of thing like, you know, we reserve the right to let you in kind of thing. I think he'll be out. Um, I think he's going to have a hard time staying with the UFC in terms of like, you know, providing fighters for him and stuff like that. So I, I think that that type of punishment is already started to happen to James Krause and uh, he's starting to feel it. Um, you know, does he have some kind of repercussion, you know, a, a ability to fight that? You know, maybe he's got the ability to sue people and 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 get back in, you know, as a trainer so he can train fighters and stuff. But already he's suffering already on that. Um, it is the faking of fights that'll get him jail time. And that's what I've been kind of falling back on all along here. And I think I was trying to place it as fraud in previous podcasts. And what it is, what it will be is it will be the conspiracy to produce a fake sporting event. And those are federal charges. 
And that's where he's going to be in trouble if Minner didn't go into that fight, you know, uh, trying to win. But now, intent's hard to prove. So let's kind of look at the other things. Like, for example, if he was running his own sports book or if he had people underneath him, where would that fall, given your experience? Again, okay, so if you're running a sports book, you're going to have to have cash on hand to pay back. Because as, as smart as you may think you are with odds, nobody, nobody hits 100%. So at some point, you're going to be in a situation where you've got to pay back some people. So you have to have cash on hand and be ready to go. You have people under you taking bets and things, and you've got some semblance of this. Maybe he's putting the bets into another sports book and, and, and acting it and taking the bets. I don't know. They're also giving him money and saying, no, we'll bet whoever you say and you bet it. You know, so it does get to be nefarious, uh, you know, uh, a lot of questionable stuff there in that. But if he's running a sports book, keep in mind, a state, I believe it's at the state level, the, the state makes a decision if they're going to accept gambling or not within their borders. You know, some states don't accept it in no way, shape or form. Other states, we've seen this change in our lifetime. Once they've done that, then there's a you know, a procedure for a casino to open. They don't just, you know, pop up. So they they open and this regulation body makes sure that the people can go there and gamble and some will win and that it's fair to everybody. Whatever the numbers mathematically are supposed to be, they are. Um, when you go out of the country in the United States, you're going to get drastically worse odds at slot machines or, you know, even at table games and things in casinos overseas because they don't have the same regulation we do in the States. So if he's started a, a sports book outside of the regulation, is, is, is gambling legal in Kansas where he lives? It, it starts as simple as that. So yeah, he could face some problems there, but I think, you know, it'll be a ban from the, being able to be in there and he could face probation. He'd probably be able to avoid jail time there, especially, if, you know, he can get the money back if the, Damages are limited to the sports books and things, but it could be very, it could be, that could be, that's where his problem is going to be. Because let, let me give you an example. Let's say five years ago, there's a fighter who lost a fight in the UFC and the sports books paid out and they dropped $200,000 on that. In other words, they made a payment and that fight wasn't conducted as a true sporting event. So they paid out. So now they have a minus $200,000 grievance. You know, so what would they do? They would probably they, they would have a problem with the UFC because it's not a good event. So how, you know, those types of things, the UFC sort of guarantees that what we're watching is so do the boxing commissions. They're supposed to be guaranteeing that what we're watching is not fixed. So every one of these organizations has a grievance if that is what happens. So that is the number one problem is I keep falling back to. Is it going to be hard to prove? Yes. Is is there, you know, in the Minner case, he's on the lower end of the pay scale. I've heard things like, you know, he had a career injuring injury, you know, um, otherwise, you know, his career might be over. That whole thing, again, I completely understandable on a human level. And that's really the UFC's problem because they have, you know, literally hundreds of guys on the roster that fit that bill but it doesn't allow you to go ahead and conspire to fake a fight. That's illegal. 
and if they've crossed that line, you know, there, there, there's a. I think that part of it is that if they've crossed that line, there are people now that are being silent about it, because that's what has to happen now. You have to circle the wagons and say, no, 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 we did nothing of that, and hope every time James and uh, Minner discussed what they were going to discuss that they did it, you know, in a cornfield or at a loud bar with the, uh, where they can't be recorded with their phones in the car, you know, or did they do it by text, you know, or did they do it by, you know, did they do it, how did, or did they do it by leaving voicemail, you know, hey, you know, that thing, hey, the sports book is going to give us, so let's go ahead and fake that fight. Dude, click, hey, James, slipped up in, in a phone message because all that stuff's going to be reviewed. And, you know, if that gets proven, then he's going to do jail time. And it's because, they, you know, when you start, here's the thing is, again, the gambling industry is a gamble, is an industry that's decades and decades old, generations of it. The Fertitas are not the first generation that own these casinos. Their parents and grandparents did. The Internet is what's new here. These guys used to do this with notebooks and bookies and exactly like Craftsman be allegedly have been doing is have a kid, you know, have a couple of guys that do the run for you. They run for you here. It's like, oh, shoot, I, I owe this guy five grand. Here's the five grand. Take him an envelope, slip it to him, but make sure he gets paid. It's always about your word and whether you get paid or not. That's how you keep those customers. That's how you mass up 2,000 customers is you're probably taking care of some of them. And some everybody said, yeah, this is worth paying for because I'll make more money on my bet. So he's got a deal where he controlled and told a lot of people so he controlled more money than he was worth, you know? And that's a problem in the gambling industry too because a lot of it is who you know. And if they want, if you want to make a big bet, there are ways to do that. You know, I guarantee you in 1993, when the UFC started, if you were a high roller and wanted to make a million dollar bet that Hoist Gracie would win that, you would call your casino or you would be, if you're a high roller, you might be a VIP at several casinos and you would feel out who your contact is and they would investigate and be like, you know, all right. And one of them would take his bet. That's how high rollers work. So he knows more about this. He knew Gracie and he knew this. Now he's got to find a casino will take his bet. But I think that some of them would at least let. They all are prepared to have that conversation with their high rollers. That's how they take care of people. So Krauss doesn't want to be high roller. And nobody likes that. Not the high rollers, not the you know, the people who are meant to be dealing with them and all, all that stuff. And all that leads to further scrutiny. So now he's got to be sure that he doesn't have a fighter that is going to break bad on him if he's done anything. He's got to make sure that every fighter is going to tell the truth if he hasn't done anything. No one's going to make something up. Does he have any other phone numbers that, are, that the authorities aren't aware of that might be revealed here? Like a fighter from five years ago saying, oh, man, I used to reach him at this number. And that opens up another number. All those texts, all those things all have to be reviewed. And again, is he smart enough? No, I'm not saying he's dumb, but I'm saying at some point you can think you're too smart. Did you have every conversation on this? Ask yourself, if they're faking a fight, where did they do it? Did they have every conversation in the gym? 
You know, that might be okay. Did they have it on the phone? Did they have it in text? Did they have it in person? Every single mention or conversation. You know, the circumstantial evidence is there in that the fight, you know, looks like less than a full athletic contest. And 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 that's, you know, that's working against him as well. They didn't do a good job faking it. Now, in in your opinion, if he's not caught on that, is there anything else that would send him to jail? Like you said, if he if he feels like he was acting as a sports book. Now, if he's a guy that recommends bets and he manages like an account, like he thinks he's an account manager for people, like he's managing their accounts and stuff and returning bets to him. Hey, that's a lot of paperwork. That's a lot of P's and Q's to do. If he was pooling people's money so he can make bigger bets and, and then figuring it out at some point. If he was acting enough like a like a gambling entity, like a sports book, like a, like taking bets and things like that for people, um, and you know, was he taking a risk of paying out or not? He could be. He he's not subject. Whatever he was doing, if it's close enough to what the sports books do, he could be facing a lot of fines and stuff like that for operating an illegal sports book, for op operating an illegal gambling entity of some type that's not subject to the regulations that the casinos are so yeah and again it, it starts i don't even know i'll look i can look it up while we talk but is 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 gambling legal in kansas so he could do it on the internet but now you're talking about you said you had guys and running around and you know i i don't know yeah that's a good question like in oklahoma you can't do this kind of gambling you can't place <laughs> wagers on sports um you can go to any casinos and you know, play blackjack and, you know, right. do slots or whatever, but there's no, anything outside of the ending casinos is illegal. <clears throat> yeah. And I think, I think Kansas is similar because the casinos there may be on Indian territory. So I don't know, you know, maybe he's got an agreement with somebody in the Indian territories that will take his bets. That's the thing is, is if you want to make a bet, you've got to have somebody who has the opposite need and somebody who's covering, you know, the money. So it's not just about we're going to take bets and stuff like that. You got to you have the money, and there's got to be somebody who thinks the opposite of you. So if you can get any 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 house to take the bet, if not, if James is acting as the house, then he's in quasi legal territory, as far as I understand. But I he's not subject to gambling regulation or anything like that. And I I think you know. I think you could do some heavy fines and ban lifetime bans from the sport, but I don't think it's jail time until the conspiracy kicks in. I think that's how this will play out. Now let's talk about what he did admit to, you know, let's talk first about the discord. Let's kind of break this down. Having this discord of, you know, two to 5,000 people, you know, $50 to $2,000 a month and him posting the plays and taking over people's accounts and betting for. So that's pretty much what, what he talked about there as your experience, like I said, working with sports book, as long as you did, what do you make of all that? All right. So I uh, talk me through this. So here's the, this discord is a membership. So somebody comes in and they say, okay, look, you're going to be a member. I put in $50 or $50 a month. And somebody else comes in and they're putting in $2,000 a month, but whatever that is, whatever you're inputting into there, James takes the pool of money, gambles it, and then 
the payouts are divided accordingly. So if you bet five dollars, you get you know eight bucks back. If you bet two thousand, you get your, your your appropriate back. If he's doing all that and sitting with a calculator, but taking all the money and pooling it to make bets, yeah, he's 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 in, he's going to be fined and shut down and you know possibly jail time. But I don't I don't I think he, I think he escapes jail time. I, but I think you'll be shut down. You'll never be able to do anything in the gambling industry again. I would think the $2,000 a month people were getting him to play for him, if I had to guess. Yeah, so, you know, the so $50 think, yeah, a month were just getting his place. Oh, it could be. So is, is that a membership? I pay five, $50 a month. I get something from him. And then if I pay $2,000 a month, there's more, you know, more benefits to it. It's like, is that the way it was? Okay. Yes. So he's not pulling the money. Then then yeah. What is he doing with the $2,000 people? Um, And how many did he have and stuff like that? Like I said, if he's taking their money and pulling them and saying, look, we're all going to bet this, this fight. Then again, let's say it's 30 people, 2000 a month. Now he's got $60,000 to bet. It was more like two thousand people, or yeah, more. But, but yeah, but figure that other two thousand people. Oh yeah, most, yeah, okay, of, yeah. most of them are fifty dollars, right? Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the big guys, two thousand, the two thousand dollar guys. Let's say there's only thirty of them, and he gets sixty thousand dollars in bets that he's going to make. You can't really do that as sports book. You can't do that on one of the online sports book without, you know. A relationship. So, if he, what he's probably doing is he's got fifteen accounts open at fifteen sports books, and he's dividing it up and putting the same bet at each one. That hides this kind of activity to a certain extent because if there's not a lot of action there and it's just limited, then each you know each book has got the bet out there. They're expecting to get some, but each one of those bets has a limit. So, if it, let's say they're used to it. It's a UFC. It's on pay-per-view, they know they average about this amount of bets. So once they go over a threshold, it sets off a flag. So a prop bet, like if there's going to be a finish in the first round, they know that's a low number. Very few people bet that. Very little money comes in on that compared to, you know, the win-loss or anything else. So when that goes over a threshold, alarms go up quick. And that's why dividing it up among the sports but kept him hidden for a long time probably. But again, here he became a little bit of an entity, you know, a little bit of a celebrity. And again, just that act of taking money and other people's money and dividing it up a, a sportsbook is against the sport. The when you sign up for an account, the sportsbook tells you you cannot do that, and you say yes, I won't do it. Give me an account. So just based on that, the sportsbook he's done. And again, you know, I don't know how much more enforcement they have beyond that, but you know. If he, if it's cost someone money, he could be facing charges there. But I don't, I don't see that as that big a deal until you come to conspiracy to throw a sporting event. Now he also said he posts some of the losses on some of the accounts. What does that mean? Posts some of the losses on some of the accounts. Does that mean he pays if his pick loses, or is that is that what that means? Yeah, look, at that point, if he's acting as a house in some way, then he's he's not a casino, you know? So then, yeah, that's the kind of thing that will get you, you know, that'll get you the kind of charges where you're not allowed to have access to a cell phone or internet or, 
you know, anything that'll let you near gambling, anything, and you're not allowed with it. So I, 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 I don't know exactly the intricacies of what he was doing, but it sounds very complicated, like he complicated things. And it sounds like the investigators are going to have a lot to look at. And if he's not guilty of conspiracy, but they find other things like this, like, you know, a, a sports book style entity working illegally in Kansas, you know, he could maybe, maybe somebody throws some charges at him. He's, he's getting so much undue attention at this point. That's hard to say, well, he's going to get more, but yeah, this can only continue to snake out of control for him. And the entire gambling industry wants him to go down and end this. It can't go further than that. You know, um, they can't have a, an entity say, wow, I wonder if there are any other coaches that have had their fighters ever go into a fight and lose it. Now, I want to talk about, <clears throat> I think people, some people covering this, they see the FBI is investigating this or they see that they've taken control of devices and stuff. This is all standard you know, stuff pretty much when you have an investigation. This Explain why the FBI gets involved in something like this in the first place and why taking control of like devices or computers is not unusual at all. In this situation, there he's in Kansas. He may be placing bets in other states. And just that would bring, bring the FBI's involvement in because of the crossing of state lines and it being, you know, more than one state being involved. So, no, it's not unusual that, that they're involved. Usually, like, when you hear FBI, you think, oh, it, it's really bad. It's it's getting more grave. But I don't think that once you, you're getting into the federal problems, because you can't fake a sporting event anywhere, you know? Keep in mind, you could be in any state that – you could have a state where – Right, uh, gambling is absolutely not allowed on anything, and have a fight there, and fake that fight, and all the gambling in every other state will still be subject to the fact that they took bets on a fake fight. So, you know, that's that's once you've conspired to fake a fight, it becomes a federal problem. Or, and, and by that I mean, keep in mind, faking horse races, faking. Um, baseball games faking you know the guy who, who faked the 1918 world series went to jail the players didn't the, the guy who dropped the money didn't but the big guy setting up the the event conspiring to fix the world series did go to jail and that's what happened to james Krause. if he's the master mind planner it's it this is this is what's interesting is it limited to minner is minner the only instance and, or, or like I said, when, you know, when you're a DUI person, you know, you're probably driving drunk before your first G DUI. So here they got caught. I wonder, you know, he's done it with other fighters under certain circumstances, you know, and, and that's all for the investigators to try to dig up. But I think that they're all valid questions. And I think a lot of those questions come up because, you know, Krauss conducted himself a little bit like he, he, he was. He didn't see the danger coming. He got had people's attention before he saw the danger coming. And he didn't tighten his ship up and quiet himself soon enough. He was out there, you know, talking to Ariel Helwani about what was going on. Like, 
You know, a few of those things are avoided. We don't hear any of this. So it's a very interesting. Hold on, I lost you for a moment. Yeah, there we go. All right, there, I'm back. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But um, what I mean is people think, oh, since the FBI is investigating this, this is a big deal. There's no other way it could have happened. Like you said, once the bets are made around the United States or elsewhere, it had to be done by them. No, uh, right? Yeah. I, yes. They're the, they're the, they're the right entity to investigate a federal offense of this nature. Like I said, it's a gambling, you bet in, in Nevada on a fight that's in Utah and Utah doesn't have betting. You fake the fight in Utah. Yeah, that's conspiracy in Utah. You know what I mean? To fake the fight. And that not nothing to do with the gambling aspect of it at all. So But it, it doesn't necessarily have to be faked, right? It could just be that they're investigating the whole gambling issue itself. The FBI is the ones that have to do this, yes. I think I think it, within the state, I think within the state, the states have regulatory bodies first. So like in New Jersey, if everything's in-house in New Jersey or there's a problem there. Right that they will go ahead and handle it with uh, the uh, there'll be something called like a state gaming and control board or something right, like but that. But when you have like 2000 people and they're not all in the same location, they could all be in different States. The FBI has to do it. Correct. It is, yes. Yeah. <clears throat> so people that are saying, Oh, well, the FBI is involved. This must be serious. They're not. Yeah. It's and, and not yeah, really what, what you get, accurate way to look at it. Yeah, the FBI, you know, their reputation isn't what it once was or whatever, but yeah, they're the federal authority that does this. And, you know, again, you're not getting the guys trailing, you know, it's like they're not taking guys off the serial murder cases to put them on this. There are guys who's, you know, applied for an FBI job and got put into the white collar crime area. And that's what this qualifies as. Now, the other thing I want to ask you is, you know, like the taking of devices and phones and computers. This is all standard stuff that the FBI would do when they're investigating something like this. Yeah, I, I even go so far as to think some of it is a little bit of a, a sending of a message because a lot of that stuff could be done remotely now. You, you, you might not even know the FBI went through your PC. You know what I mean? It, it really isn't that hard in, in the modern era. But I still think that they have a traditional way. Like I said, it's the Internet that's intrusive here because this gambling type of atmosphere has been going on for decades and decades and decades. It has to do with word of mouth and the value of your, you know, your word is your is your law. Do you honor that and pay people and, and do all that? So they've been investigating wiretapping people and looking for notebooks and things like that for years, decades. There's a department for this in the FBI. Now, I do want to ask you something that you had mentioned before, and that was James doing the interview with the Ariel Hawani. In that situation, like if you were in that situation, you're Kraus. Hawani interviews you. Do you feel like he was kind of pushing him down a road to get him to say certain things? or What do you think? Because I feel like he kind of, in a way, kind of set him up a little bit. What do you think about that? Yeah, you know, that interview is very critical because I think it's it's the one that started all this. And, you know, Helwani's a guy that, as a journalist, people have varied opinions on him. 
He's been around for a long time. You know, but is he a true journalist? There's there's so many opinions and so many, you know, Dana hates him. So that makes a lot, you know, he has other people that poo-poo everything he does. He may have been a little tatty, a little, you know, uh, reaching a little bit in the interview. But I don't think he did anything wrong in, in, into what he, you know, I think the guy who made a mistake there was Krauss by saying too much. I think another guy takes that in there and goes, oh, you know, doesn't even, the, the, the gambling and all that stuff doesn't even come up. You know, and the UFC for having him on their fight pass and stuff like that, you know, you can see why his guard was down. He, he felt like like what he was doing was not reproachable. But, you know, all it took was enough attention for it to come. So, yeah, I don't blame, I don't blame Hawani. I think, I think James made a mistake saying too much and, and he's reaping what he sowed. And now as we're winding this down, we were talking a little bit off record about Patty, the Batty, and Ariel Alani as far as this pay-to-interview thing goes. Now, you do interviews on Lights Out Podcast. I do some interviews on my show as well. Let's talk about pay versus not pay for interviews and kind of where you stand on the whole, your experience with it and where you kind of stand on it. You know, <laughs> in this case... I wonder if Ariel Hawani is, is being genuine when he says no one's ever asked him for, for pay for an interview. Because I believe that that's something, again, this is this is internet only, this is something in the last 10 years. You know? Because what, what happens now is, so somebody worked for a newspaper or an, even ESPN or a website, you know, back before YouTube monetization and stuff like that. Even, even a news website. If they were worth it, you know, you'd look at it. It's like if they were a small mind pa site, you might not do the interview. But if you were going to get a sure dog interview, you'd sure do it because of the exposure. And Helwani is a guy that provides a certain amount of exposure. Now, YouTube comes up, he, he starts a channel, and he starts making money as well for that. Now, is that fair or not? I don't know. It's a modern problem. You know what I mean? Um, there are fighters that nowadays, I believe, uh, have started to ask for money for interviews, for certain interviews. Sometimes it's also, you never know, it's case by case. Sometimes it may be a mechanism that they just don't want to do it. Ah, pay me, you know, or give me 20 bucks for an autograph because they don't want to do the autograph. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, Patty the Batty, the guy's, you know, probably one of the top five hottest names in the sport right now. So his manager's getting him paid for interviews, you know. Probably the people paying for those interviews, if you add up the hits, they won't add up to Ariel Hawani's. But Patty doesn't need the exposure. So Patty's in a unique situation. A lot of fighters would die to get on Helwani just for the exposure. And and this is the other part, though, is that Helwani's, you know, he's making money off his site or whatever, and, and maybe people get resentful or whatever, but, you know, his star is not as shiny as it once was. He was you know, once one of the main reporters and stuff on the sport and considered, you know, I remember when he came up circa 2006, 2007, the young Canadian kid looking for interviews in, in the Bodog campuses. And, you know, he stayed with it from there. So he's been in there 15 years. He's paid his dues, done his work. But he's not the power in journalism that he once was in this sport. 
And a lot of that has to do with, see, I, I think what Patty also was doing there to a certain extent is what, is that there's a bear in the room. And that bear is Dana White. He's trying to impress his boss by pissing on Helwani because you, if you watch the whole video, you, you see Dana's, you know, uh, you know, Dana looks extremely happy with what Patty said. And, you know, Patty scored major brownie points with with his boss there. I don't think that anybody's sort of mentioned that. And that shouldn't be escaped. You know what I mean? It's like, it was good for Patty to say that in front of Dana. Trust me. Now, tell the story about when you first saw Ariel Hawani at Bodog. Now, what was your, uh, you were one of the founders of Bodog Fight, correct? I was the first matchmaker. You know, I was there when uh, we went from Euphoria FC to Bodog when the deal was signed. So, yeah, we we were, you know, we did a, about a year and a half worth of international big shows. And uh, Helwani was, i pretty sure he's from Canada, Toronto or something like that. We're mm -hmm. in Vancouver, but he showed up at the offices and, you know, was looking to do interviews young and, and you know, he stayed with it. So he got there, but that's what I remember. I avoided. I didn't. I. I don't remember if I did an interview with him or not. But at that point, I was nearing the end of my career, and he was starting his. So it wasn't a match. I would. I. I was at the point where I didn't want to do interviews. You know. Now Helwani. Fast forward ten years later, if I had been in that spot, I probably would have had to do the interview because Helwani had made himself into one of the premier journalists of the sport. And it was worth your time to get your word out there, to get your opinion out there. Even if he didn't pay you, it was worth it because so many people would see it. But I, I believe Helwani's star is less shiny, less people see it. And he's still kind of acting as, as if he's as important as he was back in the day. And, you know, that's a little disrespectful on his part and a little bit, and he gets a little bit like, Hey, please, you know, so I can see why he has ups and downs and fans and, and non-fans. But I don't think he, you know, in the James Krause thing, I don't think he was out of line. And here, you know, I, I, I think, I think what we saw there was even it could even be conspiracy theory time, and that they planned it so that both names get put out there. You know, Patty sucking up to the boss. Another, anytime Patty gets a million views, if you put Patty and Dana White in the clip together, you got two million. You know, that's a good so, point. Maybe it was all done. You know, to help everybody. Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, we're all we're talking about this kind of non-subject. I didn't even want to talk about it, if you remember, because it's like, right. But there is a lot of repercussions over it. I don't think, I don't think, many fighters will ever be in a position like Patty, where they can say, "Nah, I don't want to do interviews. I'm good." You know, like some of them may not want to do it because they don't like to speak in public or, you know, he stutters and is embarrassed or, you know, he just doesn't give an F. You know what I mean? There are a million reasons why you don't want to do an interview. Doing it from a position of power like that, like you can pick and choose your interviews. You don't want to do them. You don't do them. But to turn down Helwani's interview is something most fighters wouldn't do because they'll do it because of the exposure. So Patty's breaking through and going up there. But rather than, well, it's interesting. It's great. So it's like, I wonder what Patty's making, you know? Because the bottom line is, is the UFC is going to have to pay him at some point, you know, especially if things continue. But what is he really making at this point? Because, you know, what's he getting for an interview? 
It's that it also seems a little bit, bit beneath UFC fighters that hey, they're trying to grab a couple hundred bucks on the side for an interview. But they do. There does seem to be that type of person. This, this touches back on the Kraus and Minner thing. The UFC's pay scale has this entire, uh, like a, uh, you know, uh, biosphere of fighting effed up. You know, so you're telling me Patty the Batty, top five hottest names. On the UFC, he's still so low on the pay scale that he will say, yeah, you know, I'll take 300 bucks for an interview. I'm going to turn down ones that don't give me it because, hey, I need, you know, I got the income and stuff. McGregor doesn't do that. McGregor turns it down because he doesn't want to do it because he has enough money. Patty doesn't have the money yet. And it's his employer who should be paying him, not the journalists, in order to get interviews. So this does tie in, a, in you know, in, in a nice and interesting way to the Krauss thing. Is like the root source of these types of commotions is that the UFC is vehemently trying to maintain the pay scale that they have now, you know, at all costs. And it really does seem to be broken, especially on the entry level, unless you get to the upper echelons. But there are many examples of it, hundreds of examples in the history in the past that the, the pay scale is, is, isn't proper yet. And I think that the, the, Patty's a perfect example of it. If Patty the Batty really has to get, what's he getting for an interview? Like, what are these websites paying? Like, are they paying 5000 bucks for an interview? Or is it a few hundred bucks to sit down for now? And is, does Patty really need two, 300 bucks for an interview? Is he, is, like, pocketing that money? Is, is his manager saying, hey, you got 300 for that interview. Where's my 60? You got to send me $60 for his, you know? I mean, it really gets... That really should be beneath them, too. That's what they don't notice. And Dana White laughing at top of the whole thing and encouraging it is just him pocketing more money on his end. And everybody else just is that fighting each other and stuff. He's really playing the uh, puppet master really well. Dana always does, you know. But, yeah, that's what that's what it is to me. It's like they really need money for interviews, you know. It, it sounds like you're still poor, Patty. I want to ask you one other thing Ariel mentioned was he doesn't get paid more no matter who he interviews or how many hits it gets. He says he gets a salary or whatever, but his salary is based off of who he can get interviews with. You know what I mean? Do you agree? I Yeah, I don't know what his company structure is. Like if, if he's got a sponsor and the sponsor puts the videos out and they say, look, Ariel, here's $10,000 a month and you get that no matter what then it doesn't matter to him. But but right, but if he was only getting interviews with you and me, he probably wouldn't get the 10,000 a month or whatever he's getting. No, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and there's a maintenance to that that has to go on, you know, because what happens is so in in that scenario, Patty comes on, he has a, an interview that makes, you know, 2 million interviews, 2 million hits, and he monetizes it and gets an extra $5,000 check from YouTube for that month. If he doesn't keep it, if a sponsor or a corporate entity keeps it there, it doesn't take away from what Patty's pointing out, you know, that at some point. But I, I think what Patty missed here is that a true, you know, heroic like UFC fighter to the masses shouldn't be stooping so low as to grab a couple hundred bucks for interviews either. That's an interesting. I mean, that's an interesting way to look at it. 
I mean, I guess I could see both sides, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, I, think I think it's, it's interesting. I think, I think it's, a, I, I, we've seen in the old days, before the internet, we've seen the guys, hey, I went up to, you know, Marvin Hagler and he did me an autograph for free. Ran into him a couple of years later. He asked me for 20 bucks on the street for an autograph. Why did he do that? Maybe he just didn't want to do it. Or maybe he needed the 20 bucks and would have pocketed 20 bucks for the autograph. But that type of thing of trying to monetize for things, you know, that they used to give away is a sign that the fighter's rising. But again, like the pay, if the pay scale doesn't come along either, you know, Patty's got to grab 300 bucks for an interview. I just think it looks low. I think if I was Dana, I the, the whole thing reeks of, remember when, you know, Adrian Broner was supposed to be the next Floyd Mayweather? Meanwhile, Floyd Mayweather's over here, you know, making million-dollar bets on sporting events. And Adrian Broner is getting arrested making $10,000, $12,000 bets in a bowling alley. It's a totally B-class thing. And Patty asking for interviews to me really is a totally B-class thing, which is my opinion. Yeah, you know, and you have that. Uh, I, I don't know if you get this in Costa Rica, but, you know, here in the U.S., you have these uh, traveling, uh, what do you call them, like uh, conventions. Okay. You know, of different things where guys are selling their autographs. So it, it seems like that's the way of the world now. You know, that's whether it yeah. be a wrestling convention or an MMA convention. And all they're doing, all it is, is a bunch of people selling their autograph pretty much and doing some conversations here and there. Right, right. And I, I mean, I've been stopped by athletes or I've stopped an athlete and I've been asked for $20 for the autograph. And I took it to me now that... Uh, you don't want to mess with it, you know? So, again, these guys, again, you know, I'm not saying Patty. Patty needs to be paid more. I think I think at this point he'll agree with me. The UFC is using him to the point where whatever he's making, he's not making enough from those paychecks. You know, Dana's going to laugh and, and hand him a couple of checks on the side. You add all that up, and it's still probably not correct. And it's just my opinion. But – at the end of the day, when when non-fighters are the people who are making the most money off of this sport for the last 15 years, 20 years, there's something sort of that needs to be fixed. I think that's a good thing to end on. You know, and Miguel, I appreciate you taking time to discuss this. And uh, again, this is Todd Atkins with Miguel Adorati from the Lights Out podcast. Be sure to check out their YouTube channel, which is L-Y-T-E-S like Chris Lytle, L-Y-T-E-S out, Lights Out Podcast. Yeah, Lytle, Lytle pops in with us every once in a while. We got the MMA detective. We'll be back. Thanks. If you're coming this far, thank you for listening. I know uh, I'm not uh, everybody's cup of tea, but in this particular case, I think you'll see uh, it play out that way. The conspiracy, the conspiracy is the biggest thing, and if that can be proven, they're going to try to. And if that can be proven, that'll be the source of his problems. Everything else then, it'll just become a blip, you know? All right, Miguel, well, it was great talking to you again. Until the next time, everybody, take care. Thanks, Todd. All right, so if you want to follow Miguel, you can follow him on Instagram at Lights Out Podcast. One more, it's a Lights Out Podcast spelled L-Y-T-E-S, like Chris Lytle, who works on the show with him. So Lights Out Podcast. And again, you can always follow me on Instagram at the underscore Todd underscore Atkins underscore show. 
and uh, you can follow all my live interviews there, and uh, I have some other videos, and uh, please subscribe to my YouTube, which is a Todd Atkins show on YouTube, and uh, as always, I appreciate the support, any, you know, any support I get, or subscription, or anything like that, I appreciate it, and uh, more videos are coming, so as always, take care.